You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 50. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Our guest on today's show is another long-distance hiker and long-trail enthusiast, Kara Clifford Nelson. Those of you who've been following the podcast know that we have been focusing this month on stories about America's oldest long-distance hiking trail, the Long Trail in Vermont. And in today's interview with Kara, we're going to delve into the history of this unique trail. Kara is the granddaughter of one of the very first people to hike the entire Long Trail end-to-end, Catherine Robbins Clifford. Catherine was a member of the famous Three Musketeers, a group of three young women who set out to hike the entire Long Trail way back in 1927, before the trail had even been completed. After the start of their hike, the Three Musketeers quickly became quite famous, making front-page headlines all across the U.S., and Catherine's granddaughter, Kara, grew up listening to her grandmother's stories from this historic adventure. It has become Kara's mission to carry forward her family's legacy. She completed an end-to-end hike of the Long Trail in 1997 to commemorate the 70th anniversary of her grandmother's historic trip and used this opportunity to raise much-needed money for the Green Mountain Club's Long Trail Protection Plan. She is also currently working on a section hike of the entire Long Trail with her 12-year-old son. Let's jump into today's interview and hear from Kara herself. All right, I'm here with Kara Clifford Nelson, who is a long trail hiker. Um, her trail name is Musketeer Two, um, and and this this Kara is a reference to your grandmother, Catherine Robbins Clifford, who was a member of the Three Musketeers, who were the first three women to hike the long trail end to end. So we're, we're certainly going to be focusing on this this interesting uh, long trail history uh, in this interview, uh, but also delving into sort of your experience on the long trail as well and those connections. So the, the first question that I have for you, Kara, is uh, maybe you can just explain the, the connection between um, yourself, your grandmother, and the long trail in Vermont. It was just very inspiring because it was an amazing stunt for women to do that because this was in 1927. And um, my sister and I um, decided to do a 70th anniversary hike um, in 1997. And just uh, this, the story and listening to my grandmother and growing up with this, it was just, you know, very a heroic um, thing that these women did. I wanted to actually live it. So my sister and I actually did an end and hike um, in 26 days um, and just absolutely, just absolutely loved it and kind of followed because we were following in their footsteps. And we took that approach, you know, the whole time on the trail, you know, in the different areas, you know, that they had stayed. And it was just really, really neat to be out there and uh, living what they did, even though we had the more modern gear, which was actually a whole Another interesting thing is, is, you know, what they carried, what they used, and how times had changed in 70 years. Yeah, for sure. And I bet, I bet quite a lot has changed in the world of uh, uh, sort of hiking and backpacking equipment. But I, I do want to, I, I kind of want to get a little bit of background here before we sort of dig into some of the details of this historic long trail hike that your grandmother completed. Um, so maybe you can just, you know, give us sort of the, you know, the brief version of, of the story of your grandmother's long trail hike do, do you want to know how it started yeah how, yeah start from the they, beginning yeah. yeah what inspired her to to you know undertake this adventure well it's a really really interesting story so my grandmother was a physical education teacher and um hilda kurth was also a teacher as well and hilda had a student who was a senior in high school. Her name is Kathleen, who is the third musketeer. Well, it was actually Kathleen that started this whole hike. She had sadly lost her mom like a year before she graduated and her dad had remarried. And so her dad wanted to do something kind of special after she graduated. And so they were kind of inspired by um, 
the Green Mountain Club, and which was really getting established. And the trail was just kind of, you know, finishing getting through. And actually, when the girls hiked, it wasn't quite cut to the Canadian border. Um, and they did walk to the border. So, but it was about a month before graduation um, that Kathleen's dad suddenly passed away. So her stepmom said, you know, you, you can't do this alone, and, you know, if you want to do this hike. And she really, it was something she was doing her father, so it was really, it, it meant a lot to her. So she talked to her teacher, Hilda Kurth, you know, and, and, you know, and Hilda realized how sad she was and said, you know, yeah, this sounds like a really fun summer vacation. So she goes, well, what, what do we need to do? And Kathleen had talked with the Green Mountain Club. They had the guidebook. They had recommendations. Well, they recommended that if it was going to be women, that they should definitely have four. And that was the reason being is in case somebody got hurt, somebody could stay with the person that was hurt, and two could go out together and get help. So Hilda agreed, well, let's see what we can do. Well, of course, back then they asked all sorts of girls and women and uh, got denied. Nobody, no, every. No women really wanted to, you know, be in, be out in the wilderness, you know, especially it was going to take them, you know, a good month long and to carry what you needed on your back. It just wasn't what women wanted to do, or at least they didn't at the time. Um, so my grandmother went over to teach in Elizabethtown, um, New York, um, and Hilda came back. I think she was substitute teaching. I'm not sure why, but she came back to the same boarding house that my grandmother was staying in. And they happened to bunk into the same room. Well, they hit it off, and Hilda told her all about the story. And my grandmother, who's this big outdoors person, she rode horses, she wore pants, you know, and was just loved. She grew up on a farm, loved the farm life, loved being outside. And she says, well, you know, even though she was 26 years old, she said, let me go home and check with my parents. She still wanted you just to check to see if it was okay. So she went home, and her parents thought it was a pretty good thing. And that's how the girls got started. So they did a couple practice hikes. Um, and my, uh, my grandmother's grandmother, which was my great, great grandmother, was kind of, kind of tickled. She took an old pair of her shoes that were the soft part of the leather and lined an army sack for my grandmother to use as her, as her, as her hiking pack to soften up because those were just a canvas strap. There wasn't any padding. So my grandmother knew that her family was really kind of supportive of her doing this. And so the girls just, they ventured off as a summer vacation. And that's how it started. And I mean, this is, put this in historical context for us. I mean, this is 1927. I mean, yeah. you sort of alluded to this, but I mean, this is a, a period in, in, in history when, I mean, something like this, this was really out of the ordinary for three women to undertake an adventure like this by themselves. Well, uh, especially back then, women weren't supposed to be in the woods alone, especially without a male escort. And actually the headlines, a lot of the headlines were saying um, – those types of things when they caught on to these three girls in the woods and and they didn't carry any firearms the only thing they carried was an axe they 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 carried an axe to to, to cut their firewood because you know they cooked over an open an open um, fire and um and that was it oh and then the funny thing is is in preparation um it was recommended in the guidebook that you wear wool pants well back then women wore dresses so the three of them had to march – actually, as my grandmother says, the three of us marched into the men's department store and started asking questions, and they just sort of looked at us because women didn't come into the men's department to get pants. And they just looked at them and said, well, here's the pants, and just start trying them on. And she said, we just had no idea sizing whatever, and we just – we, just till we could find something that could fit that was comfortable. And, we, and they got the oddest looks because they were in there buying pants. <laughs> and, uh, and even then, if you look at the pictures, the women were, were still hiking in dresses. And, uh, and so that was a pretty uh, kind of interesting thing during the time, time period is, is just that. You know, you mentioned the headlines and, you know, what sort of the news articles were saying about this adventure that these three women undertook. Um, I mean, how did that even happen? I mean, how did this become a big national news story? The Green Mountain Club um, actually 
how this really got kind of they got followed is the Green Mountain Club mentioned to the state of Vermont was trying to find a way to promote promote the outdoors and tourism within the state. And so they got word from the Green Mountain Club that this was happening, that the girls had gone on this hike. And it was such a unique story. And it was during a time that they were really trying to promote outside and getting outside. And it was really neat, you know, because it was women. And it was just a whole different side of the story. So I that's kind of how they got followed. They, they, they did not give themselves the name the Three Musketeers. They got dubbed that name once they got out there and were being followed by the media and everybody. And they were kind of shocked when people a few days out, they they – got newspaper clippings and and had they just they couldn't believe that people thought they were so different because to them it was literally just a summer vacation there were school teachers a student who just graduated just enjoying the summer in the outdoors it, it really shows you you know how how different culturally um you know our country was at that point in time um yeah. Well, women had only been voting for not very many years at this time, too, which is just, you know, kind of interesting um, that, you know, these Vermont and the other two women were from New York and my, my, my grandmother being from Vermont, you know, just thinking, you know, they were pretty. They, and of course, they thought they were really tough girls and they were. They were just your average girls, you know, and uh, and uh, and they dealt with a lot. Um, it rained a lot. And the trail is. We think the trail, because you've hiked, um, it's pretty rough out there. The southern section isn't as rough, but I think people, when they hike the long trail, they think of a trail. It, it's, it's rough. This isn't like that little path in the woods. It's a pretty rough trail, and you're, you're, you're going up and down, stepping over rocks, and you know. And, uh, um, but when they did it, the trail was freshly cut. It wasn't marked well. They did get lost and um, lots of mud. They didn't have the bridges that, like the Green Mountain Club, you know, you go over those bogs and you get the logs to walk on. They didn't have this. And as a matter of fact, if you look at their their hiking boots, my mother, my grandmother's hiking boots were actually her riding boots. They were just a, a, a soft leathered sole bottom. And now we have, you know, these nice rugged, you know, traction gripping uh uh, hiking boots, but theirs were just thin leathered, and so they could slip and slide on anything. So, you know, just it was just very interesting, you know. And they really had some tough hiking to do. And I actually think we have a, lot, a little bit, a lot easier. You know, it is much easier. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, despite the fact that it's you know almost certainly you know a much easier trail to hike now than it was way back in 1927. Um, it is, you know, like you said, I, th- I think a lot of people have this misconception. And, you know, I, I live out in, in Boise, Idaho these days, um, although I grew up in the Northeast. And, and I think a lot of people, especially out West, you know, have this sort of perception of, um, you know, the mountains in the Northeast and on the East Coast in general as being pretty tame in comparison, um, just because the elevation, you know, above sea level is, is a whole lot less than what we have out here. But, you know, even though those peaks, you know, are, you know, only about 4,000 feet above sea level. I mean, there, there are some rugged mountains, um, especially is. in the northern part of the state, and it's it's not easy hiking. And, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, they were hiking this trail. I mean, they hiked the long trail end-to-end before it was actually even completed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually had to, they came up over Jay Peak. It wasn't finished from, from, from the backside of Jay Peak. So at that time... They, uh, they march down through Troy and right up to the corner marker. Um, it's, it ends at a little different spot now. But their goal is, be, their whole thing was, you know, we must get there. We must get there at the Canadian border. So that was their goal. And they knew that's where the trail was going to eventually end. And, um, and it was just, it was like a year or two after that it was finalized. But they hiked right up to the Canadian border, you know, from Massachusetts to the Canadian border or bus. That was their, their little motto. So I'm, I'm wondering what your earliest memory of, you know, hearing about the long trail from your grandmother is. Um, is there like a story that, that she told you, you know, like from when you were a child that, that stands out in your mind? Yes, there was one. Um, 
uh, it was more of a, a teenager because I kind of, I, I was just really to me because of the history of the story, the three, the three of them, um, actually there's two stories, but this one I want to tell, um, this was like their third or fourth day out and, um, they were hiking and they heard this rumble of a noise. And as my grandmother tells the story is she wasn't quite sure what the sound was, but the other two girls said, we know exactly what that is. And they're like, this is Vermont. There aren't any airports. The other two girls were from New York. And so there were use of airports and see in 1927, I mean, airplanes were not a very common thing above in the, up in the air. So it was sort of a new sound for my grandmother. And they said, we know exactly what it is. And then my grandmother went, you know what it is, but I know who it is. They're like, what do you mean you know who it is? And she said, yeah, I read the Burlington Free Press just before we left. You know, it was something that I did. And there's a big fair in Springfield, Vermont, which was not far from where they were hiking. And she said, they invited Charles Lindbergh. And they looked and they said, no way. <laughs> and they came up and there was a clearing. So the girls just started huffing it up to this clearing because they could hear the sound getting louder. They got up into this field and they saw from the distance a plane. So then they laid down, all of them with their hands behind their heads, and they looked up into the sky and the plane flew right over them and they watched it. And my grandmother said, the wings tilted back and forth as if, whoever it was, saw. And then it arced onto its side, and when they did, they could read the spirit of St. Louis. And it came around, came down nice and low, and swooped right over them, and then turned around and went away as if Charles Lindbergh actually knew who they were. And I think this was kind of before they'd they'd read the newspapers and knew anything. So to her, she said, it, it, it was just intriguing to have somebody so fascinating at that time. Charles Lindbergh, you know, was the big hype and the big headlines. And not, them not knowing at the time that they were becoming headlines themselves and that Charles Lindbergh kind of knew who they were. So as me growing up with a kid, I thought that was just so, so cool that Charles Lindbergh, you know, flew over my grandmother while she was doing this historical hike. And what a bizarre coincidence and um – yeah, like two two really interesting historical figures, sort of, yes, like, like almost meeting, but but not quite, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then another another interesting story um, is uh, they came down in three t- separate cars. They actually, um, uh, my grandmother was dating somebody. Her boyfriend dropped her off, and Hilda's boyfriend dropped her dropped her off, and and um, they um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you'll understand this and, and, and other hikers is they actually did slack packing on their first day, oh. which is slack packing for those who don't understand it is, is you actually, you know, you hike with a lighter pack for the, the, you know, for a section, whatever, and you can actually do a little more mileage. Well, some of the people from the Green Mountain Club met Hilda and Kathleen, the two other girls, and said, you know, you're going to be crossing a road. Why don't we leave your, your packs um, here for you? And so you guys can start the first section of the trail and that, then pick your packs up. Well, my grandmother came down, got there a little bit later, so she was carrying her full pack the very first day. And um, so they got stuck up, in, up above Bennington. It wasn't marked. They could not find their way. And they got kind of twisted because you couldn't figure out where to go back into the woods. And, you know, and so they, they pondered and looked a lot. And, of course, the other two girls didn't have their full packs on. And my grandmother did and not getting used to the weight. And so what they ended up doing is is they went down one section and they could actually hear some cars and some noise and then they could see a, a little bit of lights because uh, it was getting dark and which they realized was the town of Bennington so they ended up walking down into Bennington and staying in uh, a little bed and breakfast or whatever their first night and then um, they uh, they got a ride back up to get their packs the next day so I, that was one of my my grandmother's first you know their first day out um, is experiences but after that they made sure they didn't really, you know, 
try, use the compass or try to use the guidebook and use their bearings. But it was the first day they realized they needed the compass. From that, that going forward, their compass was their guide. They realized they needed it for the trail. So, but we all learn as hikers sometimes the hard way. You know, and uh, so uh, that was their first day out. What I, I think is really funny that they did a little slap pack. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and them not knowing at the time what they actually had done. And I told my grandmother that later, and she was like, What do you mean, slap packing? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even these days, I mean, I have a couple memories of sort of getting temporarily a little disoriented on the trail and having to kind of backtrack a little bit to sort of figure out where I'd sort of taken a wrong turn. Back in 1927, I mean, the trail wasn't even complete, right? And I'm sure it was a not, whole yeah. lot more difficult to sort of find your way and make sure yeah. you were on the right path. <laughs> well, like us, because it's used so much, it, the path wasn't broken down, you know? Right. It just wasn't there to follow. It was really, you know, just virgin forest and fields. And, and it was open more, not quite as foresty as, like, when you and I, because you and I hiked and, um, uh, and, and actually, I'm, I'm in the middle of my – I'm just about to finish my, my second through hike. Um, and, and just from 1997, and I started this hike when you – you hiked in 2013, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, um, um, with your mother. And I, I'm, I'm hiking with my son, which is kind of neat. And I saw a big difference in the trail just from 1997 – from you know 2013 i mean it's been rerouted because they've protected the trail moved the trail a little bit on protected land but and and shelters have changed or you know they've rebuilt shelters and um but it's 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 amazing you know the trails really evolved a lot and uh, and a lot of the trail um i try and map it out it's not you know to see what's what's original from when my, when the three musketeers hiked. Um, so it's really nice when I go through those sections that are part of the original part and some of the older shelters, you know, it's a little nostalgic for me to, to be able to, to visit those places. Yeah, I bet, you know, and, and yeah, like you said, I mean, there, there are obviously a lot of new shelters and new sections of trail. Um, but it's, it's sort of mixed with, like you said, these historic sections and these much older shelters that have been there for, for a long, long time, and are probably the same shelters that that your grandmother stayed in when when uh, the Three Musketeers hiked it. Well, you know what's neat about what when they hiked is there were as many shelters. They actually, um, and, and I take a look at the guidebook, and, and this is why they actually were able to keep to twenty five pounds. They stayed at a lot of farmhouses. People welcomed them in and fed them food, so they didn't have to depend on carrying quite as much food. I mean, can you imagine if we could just stop and get a free, nice, warm meal? And you know, they, they slept in barns and they did sleep in a couple beds, and sometimes they had to share a bed. But there were a few of those times that they had those opportunities. Um, you know, just to get kind of a neat meal and, 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 you know, like when we get a little trail magic or somebody brings us a meal or, or we get offered, you know, to, to get a ride or to go someplace. So they, they had those opportunities, but they had a little bit more of the, the sort of bed and breakfast on a, on a few of the, the occasions. Your grandmother and, and the three musketeers, when they, when they completed their hike, um, you know, what, what was next? Did they all just sort of go back to their, uh, you know, to their normal sort of day-to-day lives? And, and how do you think this hike influenced your grandmother moving forward, you know, throughout the rest of her life? The three of them were best friends for the rest of their life. And they uh, never thought of themselves as, you know, famous, you know, and they were just thrilled when, you know, people um, would talk and tell them how inspired and inspirational they were. And and they didn't really realize how after their hike, there's just so many stories. And, and I know the Green Mountain Club has written lots of stuff on it. It's how women got out there and just started hiking. And I think it just really opened a whole new window of a world for just women to be out there to do this. And... But the, the three of them, they had their little mini reunions. Um, they kind of went their different ways. Um, Kathleen had two children. He married two children. She ended up out in Chicago area. Um, Hilda 
um, never had any children. And she sort of kind of latched onto my family. And as a matter of fact, um, she gave my family and I have her scrapbook along with my grandmother's scrapbook, which is kind of nice to see the two of them because the three of them made these beautiful scrapbooks. They carried a, um, a little Kodak Brownie camera with them and took pictures all along and then got copies made. So all three of them had copies, which is really neat to, to see that story unfold and their, their silliness. Cause you know, you know, my, my grandmother, my mother went to college and Hilda went to college and, you know, they were college girls and here Kathleen was going on to college and she kind of, you know, here she's hanging out with these uh, college graduates who were also teachers and because um, <clears throat> my grandmother and Hilda were both 26 and Kathleen was 18 when they hiked. But um, they just bonded and, and I think just, you know, became such great friends and, you know, it just as if it changed their lives I don't, I don't think it did. It just, I, you know, my grandmother just never thought it was anything unique and special. And she always felt honored, you know, because people want to interview and, and tell her, you know, and, and it just, it just, you know, to them, it, it wasn't, you know, overly unique. And, um, <clears throat> and it was, you know, just an average thing to do. And, um, just as a kid, I just loved the stories and, um, and I remember actually I was in high school, I was doing, I was probably in junior high. And I think it, when I realized how famous and how really historical this was, as I was doing a research paper on studying Vermont and just history, I found my grandmother's name in a history book in the library. And I think that's when it really hit me that this, this is, this is, this is just an amazing, it's, it's not just a story, you know, it's something that really happened and it really did impact, I think, for the time period in 1927. Um, and that's what a lot of the media kind of followed. And I just, it was a really big eye-opener. And I think, you know, just women being able to be more equal with men. And it was just a good opportunity that these women didn't think they were offering us. It's really neat to hear you talk about, um, I mean, the, the attitude that your grandmother had towards this hike. Um, because it is is viewed these days as this this really important historical event, but you know it's it's easier, you know she she just thought she was out going going for a hike to have some fun you know and didn't see it as that big of a deal, um, which is interesting. It's interesting that she wasn't even thinking about that. It was like we're going to be the first ones to hike. Like they weren't doing it because they wanted to be the first ones to hike the long trail, right? Exactly. Um, it was just a fun adventure. <laughs> it was. And, and it just, and it, and they just found each other, you know, as, as I told you the stories, how they came together is just one girl's dream and two others just joined in because they just thought, what an opportunity in unique summer vacation because they all had it off and what a neat thing to do. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. So I, I want to hear a little bit more. You started, um, you told me a little bit about the the end-to-end the -end long trail hike that you did in 1997 um, to commemorate the 70th uh, anniversary of your grandmother's hike. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, tell me a little bit about the inspiration for, for that trip that you did with your sister. Well, it was something that, I, it was my idea. I was living at Maine at the time, and um, I, uh, maybe it was a little homesick, and just something jogged my, my, my mind that I was thinking 1927, and it was two years before I did my this, the, the 70th anniversary hike, and I said, you know, that would be a good opportunity. I don't want to wait for the 75th. I didn't want too much time to go by, and I just... So I, I just thought about it, and then I thought of it going, you know, we've, we've, we've had this story all our lives, and my grandmother did this just amazing, amazing thing, and so many people have just, you know, appreciated the story and just absolutely love it, and have gotten out there to hike that I felt like I needed to give something back, and even, you know, our family, we were hikers, uh, my mom was big into packing up donuts and and I lived in Brandon growing up so we would hike up to the top of Mount Horrid for my birthday every July <laughs> so I grew up with you know getting on the trail and just reminiscing you know about my grandmother so I my sister was in college she's actually she's 14 years younger than me so um 
and we hiked very well together, even though she was a young, you know, 18 year old when we hiked. So I, I talked to her first because first I needed to make sure I could get somebody to hike with me. And, and I knew being a college student, she'd be off in the summer. And I was lucky I worked for, cor- uh, uh, for a corporation that would allow a 30 day leave of absence. So I had those two things going for me. And so I asked my sister and she looked at me and she said, you don't even have to ask me. When do we go? And of course, she was upset because it was like she wanted to do it that summer. And I was like, we're going to wait one more because it's got to be the 70th anniversary. So we went up and I contacted the Green Mountain Club. And uh, she and I, we went up, just the two of us, and wanted to see what we could do. And that's when, just because I was living out of state, and at that time I was not, you know, wasn't a member, in which I I pay my membership now because I appreciate what the Green Mountain Club does for this trail. And we learned that they were in, I think it was their second year of all this land conservation and protecting the trail. There was a fear of the trail going away because so much of it went over and across and, you know, private land and people were having concerns, you know, about just too much traffic, you know, and, 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 and then there was other parts that it was being overlogged. And so it wasn't safe for hikers on those other, other private sort of lands. So it needed to be protected. And so when we heard that and we told them about our hike and we said, we wanted to make it, you know, into a way to raise some money for it. So they were very tickled to have, you know, and bring out the women um, and the history. It just gave a whole new aspect to the trail. So um, I never got final numbers, but we just, we, sh- we figured it, it was three women. So we, 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 we shot for a high goal of trying to raise $30,000 for the trail. And uh, the, they just had all summer while we were hiking, the money poured in and we told our story and people, you know, I, I couldn't believe people like wanted our autographs because we were related, you know, and people had heard the story, but never thought that a family would be continuing on with the tradition and trying to, you know, raise money. And, and it, it allowed us to give awareness for the trail and the Green Mountain Club has since, you know, um, protected a lot of this trail you know they've had to reroute it but it's protected because the goal is to have it there forever and for for everyone to enjoy and it's just it's such a natural resource here in the state of vermont so so that's why we we hiked and our goal was and we we did it pretty much at the time is we couldn't get a third person sort of like the original Three Musketeers. We couldn't quite get one more person. So what we did was family members joined us along the way so that 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 way as many family members could participate in the hike as they could. So my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, Kathleen's, uh, one of her sons, he hiked with us. Uh, My aunt, who is my grandmother's daughter, um, she she just, she, she wasn't, you know, in really good condition and she sort of dreamed about doing this and couldn't believe we we're doing it. And she spent a few overnights out there and just, she had the most fulfilling experience, even though she got injured, she got hurt, she ate, but that's what the trail does to you. It, <laughs> yeah. You know, the pain is actually good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a party experience, right? Yeah. It is. <laughs> it is. And, um, it's almost like, I, I say it's like, um, it's a sense of freedom unlike any other, you know, and every day it's a new, it's a new task. Yeah. You get up, you pack, you hike, you eat, you sleep, you get up and you do it all (laughs) over again, but there's new people, there's new things. And, and so it's that freedom of, of just, you know, every day you're hiking for yourself. Hiking is, my way of, you know, clearing my thoughts and thinking. And it is, it's, it's a good place to think. Yeah, for sure. And and it's also a neat way to establish this connection, this cross-generational connection with your grandmother. What I'm wondering is, um, was your, was your grandmother still alive in, in 1997 when you guys did that hike? She was, she was, she, and, um, my, both my sister and I went down by ourselves to tell her um, uh, that we were going to do this. And she was absolutely thrilled that we would want to do something like that. And, of course, she was like, why do you want to do that? And, and, and we're like, well, just, you know, just the, 
the hiking, the exercise, and, and, and because you did it. And, and, and we want to follow your footsteps. We want to experience what you girls did when you were out there, even though, you know, things had changed. But we had a really sweet moment with her. Um, she was, um, at the time that we hiked, uh, she was living in like a, a retirement um, home and she, she couldn't walk really, really well. So she kind of got around in a wheelchair, you know, and a walker. So we stayed at the Inn at Long Trail on Sherman Pass. Um, we stopped in there and, and that was our, our, our bed and breakfast night and, uh, and, uh, which is a great place to stay and good food. So they brought her up in the morning and, uh, she actually asked if she, cause, um, if you remember it, you know, it, she wanted to actually join us, which you go up through the back up over rocks is where the trail starts. Right. It's really, she really, you could see, she just wanted to, to, to go with us. And we're like, but grandma, the, the chair, and she's like, well, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> and we really thought she, she was going to get up and, and come with us. But she was just so bubbly and happy and to be there to send us off as we continued north. And we got to share with what we had done and, and to tell her how inspired we were because of the blisters we'd gotten. Because that's the 100-mile mark. Right. And, uh, <laughs> So it was it, it was nice to have her meet us and at that at that spot on the trail and and um, to have her come up and be there. My grandmother was ninety three when she met us on the trail. So and uh, she did live to be ninety four. She uh, she uh, she lived uh, another year after we hiked, which was really nice. So we got to really share a lot with her. So it was a pretty special time. What what an amazing experience! So cool to hear about that. Uh, more recently, you have undertook a, a, another long trail hike, um, and, and this one is with your son. You, you mentioned this uh, uh, briefly as well um, earlier in the interview. You and your son are, are working on uh, sort of section hiking the whole trail. Is, is that? Um... It's not how it's. It's not how it started. <laughs> <laughs> it started as my second end to end hike. I. Um... I uh, actually, I, I, I guess I shouldn't be too shy. A lot of people don't want to share their age. Um, I was turning 50 and I decided, you know what? Uh, it's time to do something really unique. And, uh, I, and I always told myself I wanted to hike it again, except for this time I wanted to hike it for myself because even when I hiked it for the 70th anniversary, you know, it was really well organized. We had a lot of people to meet and I wanted to do it for myself. And, um, I had been working so much and, um, I, uh, had the opportunity to have the summer off and I had a 10 year old son and he was just, he's just loved the story. He's just really, and he's hikes with me. We do stuff. And so when I told him what I wanted to do and if he would join me, this, not very mother, many mothers have a 10-year-old that start jumping up and down going, okay, okay, when are we going? When are we going? And he was just so thrilled to go. And then um, the hardest part about hiking with a 10-year-old is you really don't want to carry more than 20% of your body weight, maybe 25%, but 20% is that's with any hiker. Right. And <laughs> He only weighed 68 pounds. <laughs> right. And so the problem was, is my pack was really, really heavy, but it was a very rainy, rainy, rainy June. And <laughs> yeah, well, not, we were out there too. <laughs> so I had to stall our start date because there was a lot of flash flooding and um, very muddy out there. So we delayed our hike a little bit. So we ended up that, that summer, um, I was pretty proud to say we hiked home. I live um, and stare at Camel's Hump. So that in 2013, um, with having to get some new boots and having some knee problems, is we made it to the north side of Camel's Hump, which was very impressive. So we've been section hiking it since then. It's, it's really neat for me to hear. I mean, we, we were on the trail at the same time. Uh, 2013 was when my mom and I uh, completed our hike. It's possible we crossed paths in there somewhere. <laughs> I bet we did. We did. Well, I had an interesting – can I share another story? Yeah, Just, you bet. So we got back on the trail. My husband was very good about – you know, we lived up in the northern part of Vermont and we're hiking down the southern section. But we uh, got back on um, – 
and uh, I hiked up um, to Goddard Shelter, and then it was, I forget the name of the shelter after that. Um, my son was getting really, really nervous, and as a 10-year-old, I realized 10-year-olds have a little more of a schedule than, than you realize. He was like, you know, Mom, we never, ever get to our destination at the time we expect. <laughs> and we never, ever, ever eat lunch at noon. We always seem to eat lunch at 3. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a little nervous because we also seem to get into our campsite in the dark almost. It takes us a long time to hike out here. And I said, yeah, it's a conditioning thing. I said, it's part of the trail. You know, we thought we were conditioned and worked out. But until you do this every day, you, you need to get conditioned. Well, he was a little nervous, you know, and stuff. So we got to the Goddard Shelter and it was three o'clock. And we hadn't eaten lunch. And meanwhile, we were discussing this all day. And so we sat down and we ate our lunch. And um, he went over and and it was the first time he had picked up. There's a log book in every shelter. And I'm the one that usually picks it up and I'll read things about the people we had met on the trail who had been through. And he comes back and he's all excited. He's got the log book. He goes, Mom, 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 I, I, I got it. I understand it. I said, you understand what? He goes, look, here's Spoon. We hiked with Spoon two days ago. And Spoon, look look what Spoon put in the book. I never eat at the same time of day. And here it is, 3 o'clock. I landed at Goddard Shelter, and I'm just having lunch. I just, my son said, we're not the only ones. <laughs> it's okay. We can do it. I said, Whenever you eat, it's whatever meal. You know, we snack all day, but he was stuck on lunch is lunch and dinner's dinner and breakfast is breakfast. Well, so he looked at me and I said, well, are we spending the night here? It's three o'clock. You know, it's a couple more miles to the next shelter. He says, no, we can do it. So we started hiking to the next shelter. And I just realized we, he starts getting a little panicky again. He's like, did we miss the shelter? Because out there, a lot of the shelters, there's a side trail. And if you're looking down and you're not up, you might miss that little sign into the side trail to the shelter. He's like, it's getting a little dark. The sun's getting low. Where, where is the shelter? You know, we're getting late again. And, um, and all of a sudden, I hear kind of a noise and I look up and I look up and there's a southbound um, AT hiker. And you can kind of tell. Um, AT hikers or, or, or through hikers just by their gear and how they walk, whatever. Well, my son goes running up to him and I kind of was like, what's he doing? And then he stops the hiker and I can't hear what they're saying. And they're talking and they're nodding and then they turn around, they come back to me. And, um, and I realized too, he had just figured out something else about the trail. The trail has its own communication system. And he, and, and the AT hiker introduces who he is, and he's he's a southbound AT hiker. He left um, Katahdin in the you know in in early June, and and he's like, he says your son's a little concerned and was asking me how, how far back I'd seen the last shelter, and he goes, you got about a half an hour. Of course, we we laughed. That's an hour for us. We weren't very fast hikers. He goes, no, I think you can do it an hour and a half hour. He goes, you didn't miss it. And then he looks at Carl. He goes, now Carl. He goes, let me ask you something. Do you have, are you and your mom carrying food? Yeah. How much food? How many days? Oh, we've got three days worth of food. Okay. You got a water filtration system? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and I have a hydration pack and whatever. And yeah. And he goes, do you have a tent? Oh, we always carry a tent just in case we can't fit in the shelters. And he goes, did you know you have absolutely everything you need to survive? Carl sat there and thought about it. He goes, even if you can't make that shelter, look in the woods. You can go pitch your tent. You can cook and you can do it. You know, you're on your own time out here. You're on your own pace. You make it whatever you want it to be. 
and my son got the biggest smile on his face. And after that, he just got the hiking. He didn't care about the food. He enjoyed the people. And um, But it, it does. I think any hiker, it takes about three or four days to understand that there's a communication system out there. You talk to the hikers coming at you. You read the logs. And it's not the t- same timeline as in when you're at home and your regular life. It's a different lifestyle out there. And and you make it what you want it to be. And that was really kind of cool to see a 10-year-old kind of kind of learn that. It was kind of very inspiring for me. I, I think part of what makes it so special is this: the fact that you're out there in the woods and you're carrying on your back everything you need to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's funny, you know, I had a, a similar experience um, hiking on the long trail with my mom. Um, you know, I had, you know, sort sort of like yourself, you know, I, I had had previous experience doing long distance hiking. I'd hiked a section of the Appalachian trail, um, when I was in college. Uh, but this was the first long distance hike that my mom had ever done. And, you know, I, I think she was feeling that same anxiousness that your son was feeling about making it to that next shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we experienced, you know, similar type of thing where, you know, like, we'd be trying to get to a shelter and there were certainly a, f- a few instances where we, you know, we didn't actually reach that shelter until after dark. Um, yep. but you know, there was one, um, you know, one afternoon in particular where, um, I think like my mom was getting really nervous about making it to that next shelter. And I said to her, you know, mom, we can stop anywhere you want. Yeah. You know, yeah. this whole forest is our home. You know, all we need is a flat spot to put, to pitch our tents and that's yep. it. That's all we need, you know. You carried and, a tent too. Carried yeah, tent. we did. We we carried um, uh, a super lightweight tent. Yeah, we did too. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, and you know that night, that's what we did because you know we we decided you know hey, it's not worth it. Like it was raining, and you know we just didn't we weren't up for you know hiking those additional however much it was three or four miles, and we're like, well, let's just camp here, you know. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, I think that's something that, that everybody goes through, um, on, on their first long distance, uh, hiking trip is it, it, it that, that realization. Yeah. Yeah. You got to trust yourself and your bearings and your gear. You have to be comfortable okay. and then you educate others and you learn from others as well. I just, I just, I mean, it's, it's a whole social time, you know, I, I really enjoy it when you do get to the shelter, you know, who's going to be there and, 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 and you get a family because you hike within a group. Some might get off the trail for a day. They come back, they might be behind you, ahead of you. And it's kind of your family and you do track each other. And, um, when we were hiking, we had these, um, a family they were called the Florida flip floppers and it was a mother and her two daughters. And it was great because her youngest daughter was my son's age. And it was really, he really liked it because there weren't a lot of children doing what we were doing as a 10 year old out there. There was day hikers or, you know, like a one night out thing, but, um, but they were, it was really fun to share stories and and learn. And, you know, that's, that's what the nighttime was. And, and, and also my son, who's, you know, always was pushing the limit to stay up later. He couldn't believe when I said, when it gets dark, you go to bed. But he's like, but mom, it's, it's only eight, eight (laughs) 30. And then it only took him a couple nights that he was like, mom, turn your headlamp off, finish writing, stop writing in your, in your journal. (laughs) Cause you do, you you get your reward is to go to sleep at night. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a unique, uh, subculture that exists, um, because it's, it's ephemeral, you know, it's like you're sharing these connections with these people. But like you said, like people get off the trail and then they come back and you connect with them later on, or sometimes you don't. And sometimes you never see them again, but there are also these lines of communication that exist, but they're only one way, you know, like if you're behind someone, if someone's hiking ahead of you on the trail, then you get to see all of their updates because they're writing in the journals. So you get to see them. It's almost like you're chasing. So like, am I ever going to catch up with this person that I'm reading all their journal entries? Um, but then it works the opposite of that too, where it's like people who are hiking behind you, um, mm-hmm. they'll meet up with you and, and they know you by your trail name already. Oh, I know. Yes. And, uh, you know, and my mom and I experienced that a lot because, you know, we started, um, we started our long trail hike pretty, you know, pretty early, um, earlier than most. Um, and you know, we didn't have a very aggressive pace. Um, we were, we were taking our time. So we a, a lot of people, w- a lot of people caught up with us and everybody knew us, you know, by our trail name and they'd be like, Oh, um, you know, so, so good to meet you. I've been reading all your journal entries, you know? Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know of any other community that, um, 
yeah. that is like that. You know, it's it's a really unique component to long distance hiking. Do you have to put a lot of trust in in, in the people out on the trail? And uh, and um, there's really good people out there. And, and my son just he loved it. You know, hanging out with the the older hikers, and he really. He, he's, he's a good through hiker now. He's got good knowledge and um, he knows how to do it. It's always really fantastic to hear about, about kids specifically, you know, developing these strong connections with the natural world at a young age. Um, and I mean, in this case, in the case of your son, you know, carrying forward this, this family tradition that, that goes back, you know, to the 1920s, you know, at the same yeah. time. So it's, yeah. it's really, really wonderful stories. It's been a wonderful conversation. Um, and I hope that you and your family are able to continue this tradition of exploration that was, you know, established by your grandmother so so many years ago. Oh, we will. We're just it's just we, we're so inspired, and and it's just when you get on the trail and out there, I mean, we can just feel them. You know, it's it's just an amazing. It's an amazing time just to get outside, just to be out there, and uh, and I think it's very important in this day and age is to get outside. Absolutely. Well, wonderful talking to you, Kara. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much. All right. That was our interview with long distance hiker Kara Clifford Nelson. It's so neat to hear stories from other hikers who have shared similar experiences on the trail. And in the case of Kara, it turns out that her and her son were actually on the long trail at the same time as me and my mom back in 2013. It's abundantly clear that the Long Trail is a very special place for Kara, and it's wonderful to hear that her son will be carrying on the family tradition of spending time out in the remote woods of Vermont. Now, if you enjoyed today's interview, then you're definitely going to want to tune in next week for our final episode of the show that will focus on the Long Trail. Next week, we'll be hearing an interview with Catherine Robbins Clifford herself. It turns out that the Vermont Historical Society recorded an extended interview with Catherine back in 1987 for a radio show called Green Mountain Chronicles. Well, the Vermont Historical Society has granted us permission to air segments of this interview with Catherine, so next week you'll be hearing stories about life on the Long Trail in 1927, directly from the source. As always, we'll have lots of additional resources for you to check out on the show notes page for this episode, including photos from both Catherine Robbins Clifford's historic long trail hike, as well as from her granddaughter's more recent long trail adventures. Those show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org EOC50. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. 